Welcome to Remnant Christian Center's podcast. We hope you are encouraged by this message. Mark chapter 11, verse 1, in the New King James. I, and I, I want to give a prophetic um, message today on um, what we call Palm Sunday. And so uh, I want to make sure that we, we are, uh, have our Bibles because I want to be able to tell you, I don't think I've ever preached a message on Palm Sunday, about Palm Sunday, and there's reasons why uh, we call it that. Uh, but I want to read uh, the, one of the most uh, famous accounts of Jesus coming in to uh, the Jerusalem and, and what we call this triumphal entry. And this is what people get the scripture for Palm Sunday. So I want you to see Mark chapter 11, verse 1 through 10. And I'm going to give you some revelation that God gave me about this day. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Now, the Bible says in verse 1 through 10, just read with me. Now, when they drew near to Jerusalem, to Bethage and Bethany, at the Mount of Olives, he sent his disciples, and he said to them, go into, I want you to see this, go into a village opposite of you, and as soon as you have entered it, you will find a colt or a donkey tied, on which no one has sat. Now, if you've heard me preach on these topic before is different today. So he said, I, wa- I want you to notice, he goes, go to the village opposite you. As soon as you've entered it, you will find a donkey or a colt tied. Now here's a key on which no one has sat on it before. Now I'm going to explain the significance on that. Loose it and bring it over here to, to me. And if anyone says to you, Jesus says, why are you doing this? Say, the Lord has need of it. Can you imagine doing that nowadays? Hey, I'm going to get your bike. What are you getting my bike for? The Lord has need of it. I'm stealing your car, bro. I'm going to, I'm going to get your car. What do you need? No, it's the Lord has need of it. It's okay. And the, and, and the Bible says, no, watch what happens. And it says, if anyone tells you anything, just tell them the Lord has need of it. And immediately, he will send it there. So they went their way. They found the colt tied by the door outside on the street. And they loosed it. In other words, they let the, the, the donkey uh, loose. But some of those who stood there said to them, why are you, do- why are you doing th- this, loosing the colt? And they spoke to them just as Jesus had commanded, so they let them go. Now, then they brought the colt to Jesus. And I want you to see this, this picture because in the natural, it doesn't make sense why Jesus would ride on a donkey. That's because we don't know history and we don't know Jewish tradition and we don't really know a lot of the things that are happening behind the scenes. How I want to tell you, Jesus, everything Jesus did was intentional. It was purposeful, and he thought about it. It was pre-planned. And I want you to know that it was not just a happenstance thing that Jesus did just to make himself look lowly. All right? That's part of it. He's coming lowly. But I want you to see. They brought the cult to Jesus and threw their clothes. Everybody say, threw their clothes. They threw their clothes on it, and he sat on it. He didn't know, in other words, he did not refuse. No, 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 don't put your clothes on there. He sat on their clothes, okay? And, and so he sat on it, and many spread their clothes on the road. And others, they cut down leafy branches. Say leafy branches. From the trees and spread them on the road. Then those who were there before and those who followed out cried, saying, Hosanna! Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Blessed is the kingdom of our father David that comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Can I hear an amen? 
Now, this is a, a popular story, but I want you to see this from the lens of, of what we call Palm Sunday and from the lens of the prophetic. Because I wanted you to put the first slide up there, Zach, because um, what we celebrate as Palm Sunday is Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem. It's a prophetic act of Jesus' reign on the earth. Now, I'm going to give you probably a little bit different twist of some of the things that you've heard because I, I really see some things uh, prophetically on how it relates to other portions of Scripture. And so hindsight, they say, is 2020, right? That means, man, if I would have known then what I know now, I would have made a different decision. Right, And I'm sure that in the disciples' day, uh, when Jesus was coming and everyone was singing Hosanna and everybody was, was supposedly uh, praising the king of, uh, of Jesus coming unto Jerusalem, if they would have known a little afterwards, uh, then what they would afterwards, they would not have reacted that same way on the earth. Why? Because it appeared to be for the disciples a, a, a glorious day, and it was. But it wasn't for the reasons that they thought it would be glorious. It wasn't for the reason that the crowd thought it was glorious. Why? They thought it was a glorious time because the word Hosanna means save us now. Save us now. In other words, there was an immediacy of this Christ saying, we've seen the miracles. We've seen the power of God. This is a son of God. He's coming, watch this, to be king on earth now and deliver us from the tyranny of the Roman rule and society and political rule. So this is why we're excited because he's going to overthrow the Roman government right now. And so what happened is those same people that shouted Hosanna, I'm assuming many of them a week later or so was shouting crucify him because they realized, wait a minute, why did, did he give in to the Roman government? I thought he was going to overthrow them right now. So they switched their mind and said, wait a minute, now I see them helplessly uh, uh, tied up and bruised. That's not the one that we were cheering for. See, you have to understand that the, the word Hosanna implicates a, a very immediate now type of deliverance. When they were saying Hosanna to the highest, no doubt they were recognizing him as Jesus, as coming. But, but a lot of historians say that they were thinking that because they wanted deliverance right now. And they wanted salvation from the government, not salvation for their souls. Oh, come on. They wanted salvation from tyranny and salvation from uh, uh, to, to, to Jesus to save them from the immediacy of the now and did not know the true reason why he was coming on the earth. They saw him as their new king for the now. But Jesus is proclaiming a prophetic act when he's coming into Jerusalem because Jesus decided, oh man, to come intentionally into Jerusalem on the week that people were, were celebrating the Passover. And yet here is Jesus, the Passover lamb, coming into Jerusalem on the Passover week, and he is saying a prophetic act, I will be the one who will be the sacrifice lamb for you, and you don't even know it. I am coming while you're celebrating the Passover in the Old Testament of the angel of death passing over the houses. I'm actually coming to you as the Passover lamb. 
And I'm coming to you, and you don't realize what's happening because what we think, here's the next slide, that we think needs saving from is not all the time what we need, what Jesus means to save us from. Oh, come on, come on, come on. I, I, I want to I say this with you now. What we think we need to be saved from isn't always what God intends us to be saved from. What he, listen, I have news for people. See, here, here's what we think that God needs to save, what they think. And some of us, what, the, the reason why Jesus came was not to save us from your job. He didn't come to save us, you from your real mean boss. Can I just say something right now? He didn't come to save you from your marriage. He, no, if anything, he wants to strengthen you and heal you so you can stay in your marriage. He didn't come to save you from your marriage. He didn't come to save you from that hard relational uh, reality that you have with your friend or with that one uh, nasty cousin or brother or sister. We all have that in our family. He didn't come so he could save us from even difficult times. That is not popular nowadays. He did not come and save us. He did not come to say everything is going to be peachy and creamy and hunky-dory and everything is good. You know what? Jesus, the Bible says, those who desire to live godly will suffer persecution. Don't say that if you want church growth in your churches. But yet he said, if you want to live godly, you will, not maybe, you will suffer persecution. And so even the ones that were cheering Jesus on, did not have a clue because they wanted, watch this, this is so key for us when we're celebrating this, uh, G, Jesus or Palm Sunday, however you want to call it, is that it, if we want Jesus to come and save us through our own agenda, we're going to be really disqualified and we're going to be really disappointed. Why? Because Jesus has not come to save us from our own agenda. He wants the agenda of heaven to be established on earth. And so why do I say this? Because what did Jesus come from? I, I put a couple things down. Jesus was coming as a prophetic act because he was about to one, save us from our sin. Come on, say amen. He was going to save us once and for all from our sin. Number two, he was came to reveal his father to us. In other words, he says, you have heard about my heavenly father, but the way I am going to introduce you to my father is just look at me. He says, if you see me long enough, you'll see the father. The father Abraham, the father of Isaac and Jacob, the father, the ancient of days. You will see. Jesus didn't come to save them from tyrant, the tyranny of the Roman day or of, if you want to put fast forward to our day, Jesus didn't come to just relieve you from a situation. He comes to save your soul. He comes to reveal the Father. He comes to restore unhindered relationship between God and man. And he comes, he comes, watch this, to release our God-given identity in Christ in him. He came so that we, by the power of the Holy Spirit, can be one spirit with the Lord. That's, that's crazy. The Bible says if you're one spirit, if you're one spirit with the Lord, that means you're inseparable in that area. He is, he is amazing. And so why do I say this? Because here's the second, the, the second scenario. And um, I'm going to just try to do it as, 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 as calmly as I can. Jesus riding on a donkey into Jerusalem was symbolic of his desired lordship over our hearts. Now, I want, you to cal I want you to calm down for a second. I never heard of that before. Jesus coming on a donkey. If you could put that slide up. Jesus coming on a donkey 
on a donkey. Everybody say donkey. Now make the noise of a donkey. No, just joking. <laughs> Jesus coming on a donkey was a was into Jerusalem was a symbolic of his desired lordship. Now I'm going to say it slow. His desired lordship over our hearts. Now, Pastor George, where in the world did you get that from? Well, I want you to notice that Jesus purposely chose a colt. He purposely chose a donkey, a donkey, but he purposely chose a donkey, not just any donkey, one that has never been written on before. Now, that is, that is something that you have to go searching pretty hard for. A donkey that has never been written on before. Why? Why? Well, for two main reasons. Number one, to fulfill prophecy. Do you know that in the Old Testament, the, the prophets were so accurate that they prophesied the king coming on a donkey? You guys know that? In, in the book of Zechariah, chapter 9, verse 9, look at what it says. Zechariah 9, verse 9, it says, Rejoice greatly, O daughters of Zion. Shout, O daughters of Jerusalem. Where is he coming into? Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. This is hundreds of years before. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. So he's choosing a donkey or a colt because, number one, he wanted to fulfill prophecy. But number two, the main reason that Jesus chose a donkey that no one has ever written on before is because in ancient times, are you ready for this? Only a king, only the king could ride on a donkey and not anybody else in his kingdom. So that means that the reason that Jesus wanted be, to be the only one on the donkey is because prophetically what he's riding into Jerusalem is, I want to be the only one riding on the throne of your heart, and I don't want anybody else to be in competition with me because in a ancient times, kings alone sat on donkeys as the king. As a king. That means that nobody else was allowed to ride that same, oh, come on, come on, come on. That same donkey was not allowed to be shared with anybody else other than the king. I'm preaching better than you're nodding your head. What does that mean? Prophetically, Jesus is saying, I am jealous over your heart. I am jealous over the, 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 the competitions because we have so many things vying for our competition to rule our heart. And Jesus is saying, I want a donkey that no one has ever written on before. Number one, to show them that I'm king. But number two, prophetically, is I want to be the only king. I want to be the only king. Uh, and you, somebody said, oh, that's too harsh. You know it's not. You don't want that for your marriage. How, would you, how much less do, does God want it for him? None of, you, none of you that are married people here say, well, I just want 90% of my husband. Come on, I'm going to speak to this side because this side, come on, help me out, bro. None of you say, man, that's just harsh that my wife wants all of me. No, none of you say that. None of you say, babe, can you just, I just give you 80% of me, man. The world can have 20% of me. But hey, at least I'm giving you 80. He wants all of you. 
You say, that's cruel. No, his love is so intense. He wants all of you, just like you want all of your, of your spouse, of your family, of your time, of the heart. He wants to be the one sitting on the throne of your heart. Not other people, not other relationships, not other jobs, not other open doors. Come on, somebody. Not, not, other, not other ministry engagements, not even your title, not, not, not your, your, your status in the kingdom. He wants to be riding on the throne of your heart, and everybody else has to be second. Now, that seems a little harsh if you don't have a relationship with the Lord. But if you know that he, what he has for you, he is your creator, and he made you. And so if he made you and he created you, he knows what's best for you. Stop looking at other mechanics to try to, create, to, 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 try to fix what God has, the great mechanic, has fixed and ordained already. Can I hear an amen? And so there, there are so many things nowadays that is competing. So Jesus coming on a donkey is his desired lordship over your heart. Pause and say this. Is he savior only this morning or is he lord? Because he's savior to many, but he's not lord to many. He, everybody wants the Savior, the gentle, uh, lowly lamb who's coming and saved the sins of the world. Behold, the lamb of God who saved. But is he ownership, does, he, does he have ownership of your life, over your finances? Does he have ownership of your emotions? He, he's Savior to many, but he's not Lord to many, even in the body of Christ. You know what the Bible says in, in Matthew 7? You don't have to turn there. He says, Jesus says, not many that say, by say, say, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven. But watch this, them that do, you don't hear these kind of preachers anymore on Sunday mornings anymore. That's too offensive. But anyone that does does the will of my father and in another gospel jesus himself saying why do you call me lord and yet don't do what i say and yet in another gospel in matthew jesus prophesied or uh, was prophesying and grabbing the the book of isaiah and he's saying you come to me with your mouth but your heart is far from me right right in other words, I, I love you, Jesus. I thank you for dying on the cross for me. Oh, I feel the presence of God. Thank you. And you do a little shake, right? But when he says, I want you to give this up for my glory. Oh, what? I, I, you, go, you go deaf. And you don't hear him. Or I want you to go to, I want you to sell everything and go to Africa on a mission trip or, or for a lifestyle. I don't know about that. I don't think you're, I, don't, I, I rebuke that devil, you know. Or I want you to give such and such amount that I've given you power to give, I want you to give it for the work of the Lord. But the problem is that we base the lordship of God based on our feelings and not on faith and, and um, the, the word of God. If we feel like it, we'll execute. And if we don't, we don't. And that's not lordship, that's savior. As a matter of fact, if you look up a word study of the, of the word savior and the word lord, this is not my notes, it's for free right here. <laughs> it's there's about, I think the word Savior is written in the scriptures about 60-something times all throughout scripture. The word Lord over 260 times. Where do you think God puts the emphasis on? So he's the Lord riding in on a donkey that no one has ever ridden before because he's saying a prophetic act. I am everything that you will ever need. Come on. 
You won't need anything else to make you totally happy. Yes, you'll need money. Yes, you'll need food. But you will not need anything else to make your soul satisfied other than me. Come on here. Can I hear me, man? That's the first phrase when he's coming on a donkey. Now, the second thing, the, second, the, the other slide is Jesus coming on a donkey represented, now this is going to hit home for some of you, a time of peace from turmoil. Jesus coming on a donkey, you say, what in the world are you talking about? It's really easy. If you study history, just study history. You don't even have to study uh, a biblical history. Just study history. You will see that ancient kings of Judah, when they would come in on a donkey with their entourage into a city, the fact that he didn't come on a horse meant that it was peacetime and everybody could chill and everybody could say, oh, we could relax now because the king with his robe on is coming on a donkey, which was always symbolic and always, always communicated to the city that it's okay. He's not coming to destroy us. He's coming to release peace. Do you realize that Jesus coming on a donkey, not only uh, that nobody sat on was symbolic of his desired lordship over our hearts, it was also him saying, I am the prince of peace coming to release peace that passes all understanding into the world because peace eludes so many of humanity. The peace from what? The turmoil from your mind. The turmoil from your emotions. From that hurtful thing that happened in your past or the reality that's happening now. God wants to release peace to you because peace escapes us. Right now, if I were to do a poll secretly in your mind, you would say, I need peace. From the raging thoughts, from anxiety, I need peace from the worry. I need peace from my job, from this the situation where I'm about to get evicted or this situation in my job. I need the peace of mind because I'm stressed out. I'm so, so stressed out, I may lose my job, I may lose my, my car, I may lose this, or, or my children are just, grow, th- are just getting throwing me into a place where I don't understand what my thought life is. He keeps our mind in perfect peace to those who trust him. And so Jesus coming on a donkey, the son of God, was, was a sign that he is coming in peacetime. So the people of Israel knew that. They knew, hey, he's a professed king. He's coming on a donkey, and he's coming with the clothes on. He's a proclaimed king, but he's not here to destroy us. He's coming in peace. Do you, have to, you have to realize peace is a powerful force. Uh, it, it is not passive at all. A lot of times people think like, hey, peace. And then you, know, we, you imagine these people with, with uh, you know, long hair and hippies and, 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 and bell bottoms saying, peace, you know, no war, everything. Peace is, peace is not a cessation of war exactly. The power of peace sometimes to establish peace needs war. You have to understand something. The, the act of peacemaking is a force. It's not passive. It's not passive at all. Why? The, act, the final act of Jesus when he comes to, as the prince of peace to establish peace on the earth is not going to be soft. In order to establish peace on the earth, he has to get rid of all those who oppose him and all of darkness. And it's not, he's not going to ask permission, glory to God. 
He's not going to say, devil, is that okay with you? He's going to come. Let me tell you something. I'm just going to preach a little bit if you don't mind here. It, because because the, the, the Bible says in Isaiah that that's one of his names. Look at Isaiah chapter 9. Look at this for a second. I'm going to, I want to sh- uh, uh, get you uh, happy for a little bit. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 2. The people who walked in darkness, it's a prophetic word, have seen a great light. This is hundreds of years before Jesus came on the scene. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shone. Now look at verse 6. All the way through verse, I believe it's verse 7. Look at verse 6. For unto us a child is born. A prophet was, was prophesying this. Unto us a son is given, and the government will be upon his shoulder, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government, oh, come on, and peace, wait, 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 Uh, you you missed that. Of the increase of his government and peace, what? I'm going to read that again. Of the increase of his government, we we only quote the government part, and his peace, there will be no end. And upon the throne of David and over his kingdom to order it and establish it with judgment and justice from the time forward, even forever, the zeal of the Lord of the hosts shall perform this. Watch this. You have to understand that Jesus coming into Jerusalem as the Prince of Peace it is powerful force. I'm here to tell you because you, 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 we've got it all mixed up. We just think that Jesus is coming for a certain reason. He's coming as the Prince of Peace. But it, the peace is a force that eludes people and it's a powerful force to bring healing to people. Why? Because if you could have peace of mind that passes all, okay, okay, let, let, let's, 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 let's fast forward to uh, Philippians. Philippians just says, be anxious, anxiety, watch, right, anxiety, fear, be anxious for nothing, everybody say nothing, but in all things, in prayer and supplication, make your request known to God, what's the very next word, verse, and then the peace that passes all understanding will settle in your heart and mind. You know what, what, you know what the word peace that passes understanding means in 2019? It just don't make sense. And in other words, you're supposed to be nervous. You're supposed to be going crazy. You're, po- you're supposed to like, kind of lose your mind of all the things that are happening and all the lack of breakthroughs. But you just have this unrelenting calm in your spirit. And you don't know why. It's because it passes all of your knowledge. It passes. That type of peace is not passive. And, and, and let me tell you something. Oh, I'm going to say something that's going to be powerful. See, see, when, when, when Jesus came the first time, as a matter of fact, Romans, I believe it's chapter 16, you know that Jesus, that Paul the Apostle had a, had a revelation of the power of peace. And he said, the God of, he, he could have said the God of power. He could have said the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. He could have said the God of fire. He he said the God of peace. Well, what? Crush Satan. Oh, come on, man. I'm, I'm going to drop the. It's not the God of this. What will crush Satan? The God of peace will. <laughs> what does it make sense? So we, we think the God of peace is. Satan, could you please bow down, please? Please. Peace, please. No, peace is a force. He says, the God of peace will crush Satan shortly underneath your feet. 
Because in that time, there was division in the church in, in, in Romans. And he was, Paul was addressing those who caused division. He actually said, mark those who caused division. And he's talking about that in the previous chapters. But he says, you know what's going to crush Satan in your homes? You know what's going to crush disunity? You know what's going to crush the gossip? You know what's going to crush the God of peace will crush that? When you make peace with somebody, you discombobulated the devil's power. When, when, you, when you humble yourself and you say, brother or sister or mom or dad, we, weren't, we haven't been seeing eye to eye for many years. And I've been angry at you and I've been talking about about you and you've been talking about about me and we've been talking about about each other. But I don't want to worry about who's right anymore. Forgive me. I want to make peace with you. And when you do that, it destroys Satan's grip over everyone's life that he has over it. So I, so, so I told you I'm going to preach, so I'm going to preach now since I'm on the floor. So <laughs> he came the first time on a donkey to say, hey, take advantage of my peace this way. Because there's going to be peace. There's, you know, there's two triumphal entries. There's a first one, and there's going to be a second triumphal entry. And the second triumphal entry, he's not going to come on a donkey. He's going to come on a white horse. To establish his peace and the name that he will have is called the word of God. And on his robe and on his thigh will have a name that's called king of kings and lord of lords. And what will he be doing in his second triumphal entry? He's not coming on a donkey. Everyone knows it's wartime. He's coming on a white horse. And the Bible says his saints are coming with him. You know what he's going to do? He's, he, you know what he's doing? Justly as a rightful judge, eliminating evil from the earth. You say, wait a minute, wait a minute, where's the God of peace? That is the God of peace. What kind of judge will be just judge if he lets everybody go, oh, come on, somebody, and, and the rapists go and, and, and the people that have committed real murders and say, you know what, he's just a good guy. Let's not put him to jail. There's nothing personal. It just says you broke the law as a righteous judge. I have to execute judgment. You have to go to jail or you have to be sentenced. We have this picture of Jesus executing justice as a mean God. No, he's still executing his peace. But make sure we are on this side of peace. As he's coming in to Jerusalem, establishing peace. He wants to establish his peace in your mind. Is peace in your heart. And can I say something? The power of peace he wants to establish between you and others. Why? What does the Bible says in Hebrew? The Hebrews. It's not it's going to be up there. The Bible says pursue. Pursue what? Come on, some of you know the Bible. Pursue. Pursue. That means you have to go after it. What? It's not going to come to me. It's not going to come to me. That means even though it eludes you, that family member, that person that, that you don't like, pursue them. It's not going to come to you. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. It got quiet up in this Methodist church here. Pursue, pursue peace and holiness. Without which no one will see the Lord. Jesus coming on a donkey was saying, I am the prince of peace and I'm the most powerful force. The peace of God is the most powerful force. How many can agree that if you just had the peace of God, everything else wouldn't matter? Come on, think about that. Think about your problems just for a second. Just for a second. 
I, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not degrading real problems, but think about your problems. Peace doesn't take the problem away. It helps you to, give, to cope with it. It helps you to have this, say, you know what, I'm going to have an even keel and I'm not going to worry about it. I'll never forget, I don't know if I shared this story with you guys before. I had this uh, friend of mine years ago, uh, his name is Raul, and um, he called me years ago, years ago, I'm talking about 20 years ago, they just stole his car. Not a radio, the car. Not, not already. He's like, George, come over here, bro. They stole my car. I'm like, and I remember I was a young Christian, you know, coming out of Miami. So I'm like, I still have a little Miami in me, you know. <laughs> so I got up in there, and, and uh, no, no joke, talk about the peace of God in people's lives, right? This is what Jesus come to do. He's, I mean, his car, when I got there, the, the gla- there's glass all over the parking lot, and there's no car. I mean, no car. But when I got there, I'm like, let's go, let's go, let's go. We got to get him. We got to call the cops. We got to do this. We got to do something. And I'm more angry than he is, and he's just sipping on a coffee. Like, I'm like, what's wrong with you? He's like, what do you mean? And he's just laughing, telling jokes to people. I go, come on, we got to do something. And I'll never forget, he told me, I mean, he just got his car stolen. And he looked at me, and I felt this big after the conversation. He goes, George, my car is not here. I can't do anything about it. But we got to do something about it. He goes, if getting angry is going to get my car magically up here, then let's all be angry right now. But I can't do anything. It's over. Might as well have peace about it. And I said, <laughs> I said, you're right. There's nothing we could do. So we're wasting our time being angry. Because if being angry would get the car up, by all means, let's all just be angry. And it magically will appear. It's not. You know what, what, uh, what happens is, is how you deal with situations is going to make your joy full or joy low. Situations will always come, but if you have the peace of God, people will look at you and they will be ministered to you. And they say, you know what? That the peace of God is actually also not only a powerful force, but it could be such an evangelistical tool. And you don't even have to say a word. They know that all hell's breaking in your in your in your uh, life, and you come to work and you're just smiling. And they're like, I know what's happening in this person's life. They barely got any money. They just lost a loved one. And they're coming and they're hugging people and they're smiling. What's that that you got? I want what you got. You walk into a room and you're not reacting. See, the power of peace makes you not react. It's like, that's why I love Pastor Keith so much. A bomb could explode in the, in the church. You'd be like, it's going to be all right. We have half of the church still. We, we, we can meet here. I'm like, there was some times where, you know, the fire marshal just recently came in. That's why, that we, you know, we have to, to, to make sure we got some general contracts for that. And, you know, at first, there were, you know, it was like, you know, you have to do this or this. And, and I, that was new for me. So I was like, uh, yeah, sir, you know, Pastor Keith Kim, don't worry, sir. We're going to got this. We're going to do this. And then other pastors were like, man, you just came in, Pastor Keith, and you just released peace in the whole situation. Peace is powerful. Jesus comes, number two, on Jerusalem for peace. Say peace. Now watch this. Here's the next, the, the next one before I let you go. The next couple of ones. Are you enjoying this so far? And they put palm branches and clothes were symbolic of honoring the king and recognizing his salvation. Now, this is where we get Palm Sunday or branch. But I, I'm going to really get you a revelation that I got excited about when I saw symbolisms in the scripture about this. Now, it doesn't just say palm branches. We call it palm branches. Some say it's palm branches. But it says leafy branches. But palm branches were symbolic of honoring. Say honoring. 
the king and recognizing his salvation. This is so key. Recognizing his salvation. Why? Because uh, when they laid their clothes down, that was symbolic of garments. And garments are symbolic of identity. When they were putting their garments down, they're saying, I know that you are king and I am not. And I am trading my identity for your reality. Right here. And they, they've, they've put garments on the donkey. Back in the days of the kings, when people would recognize that someone was king, they would immediately take off their garments, their clothes, and put it on the animal or put it on the clothes. Could you imagine if we, if we wanted to honor the president to do that <laughs> in America? How foolish we would look like. But that was an actual code of honor. If I say honor. So when you see the clothes on it, as a matter of fact, if you look at uh, 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13, I remember Jehu, Jehu right after he defeated Jezebel, and he told her the story of what happened to Jezebel, how God used him. You know what the Bible says in 2 Kings chapter 9, verse 13? I don't think I gave that to you, Zach, so my apologies. Um, he, basically, it just says this. It says, then each man looked and hastened to take his garment. This is right after Jehu said, hey, this is what the Lord told me to do, and this is how I did it. And I just overthrew Jezebel, and God said that I was going to be king. Each one hasted to take his garments and put it under him on top of the steps, and they blew the trumpet, declaring, Jehu is king. So the first thing they did, they did was to declare he was king, was take the, their garments off, their outer garments off, and put it either on top of the animal or on the road. Now, branches, this is where I'm going to get excited, so excuse me, were a sign of victory, triumph, and joy when it came, when it came to a battle already won. <laughs> branches were symbolic. When they would wave branches, it would be symbolic of victory after a battle is already won. They were not even realizing that they were waving these branches declaring Jesus has already defeated death, hell, and the grave. Because just a couple of moments afterwards, he would go to the cross and defeat death, hell, and the grave. Snatch the, key, the keys of death, hell, and the grave and declare salvation for all humanity. The victory was already won. Do you have to realize that you may lose some battles, but the victory is already won. You're just stumbling to get to the finish line, but how about if he told you, look, you could stumble a million times and you're still going to win. Because of Jesus' victory. Now, now here's, I like to see branches as something biblical and profound and the greatest miracle of all. If we could have the worship team come up here, because I'm going to uh, end it with a, uh, with a little bit of a... Of a revelation for you. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 2 in the New uh, Living Translation. I love this. Everybody say branch. branch. Everybody say branch. branch. You know that branch has a name, right? It's not palm, it's Jesus, the Messiah. Do you know he's called the branch? Now, now watch. I'm, gonna, I'm going somewhere. Palm Sunday. Woo. I uh, hope you're getting what I'm getting here. They're waving branches as, and prophetically it's a sign the victory was already done and the battle has, was won. And yet there was no battle yet. But they were already prophesying without even knowing that Jesus was won the battle over Satan, over sin. And on top of that, 
They were declaring that he was king by, uh, by throwing these branches. Why? Because branch has a name attached to it in Scripture. Look at what Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1 through 2 says. Out of the stump of David's family will grow a shoot or a branch. Yes, a new branch. Do you see that that's capital letter B? A new branch, because it's a name, bearing fruit is a person from the old root of David. And the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. Wait a minute. He's talking about the branch. Talking about the branch, and he said the Spirit of the Lord will be, if we're trying to be chromatically correct, if it was just a dead branch, we would have said, and the Spirit of the Lord will, will rest on it. But it didn't say it. It said him. Come on, somebody. The branch is Jesus, and out of the stem of Jesse will come out a branch which his kingdom will have no end, and the spirit of wisdom will be upon him, and the spirit of understanding, the spirit of counsel, the spirit of, watch this, might, the spirit of knowledge, and the spirit of the fear of the Lord will be upon him. Will be upon the branch. Let me tell you, Jesus, the branch is coming. And this Palm Sunday, what he was saying is, I am going to be king of all. I'm going to be ruler of all. I'm going to be Jesus, the Messiah, the ones that you've been looking for. It's interesting because we pray for things, and sometimes when those things come, we're so blind that we don't know that it's right in front of us. Could you imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees having a prayer meeting, and they're praying, and they're loud, and and all of a sudden, this jubilant, triumphal entry of Jesus comes. And Jesus is coming on a donkey. And Hosanna, save us now. Hosanna in the highest. And all this commotion. And I can imagine the Pharisees and the Sadducees coming out of their religious prayer meeting and saying, what this ruckus all about? Can't you see we're inside there praying for the Messiah to come? When the Messiah was passing right by them. And they were so blind that they were in a prayer meeting praying for the Messiah. And the Messiah was riding right past them and they didn't recognize him. Sometimes our prayers come in a way that we don't think is the way that it's going to be. You pray for something, God save me or God heal me. And there's areas that we don't understand that God is going to maybe answer your prayer in a way that you did not see. One of the titles given to Jesus were not just the son of man. He was also called what? The son of David. Out of the root of David will come out a branch. When blind Bartimaeus was struggling, and he's blind in all his life, and he couldn't see, he said, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. What he was saying is, you are the Messiah because it was prophesied that a branch is going to come out of the family root of David. Have mercy on me. And, and, and here's another example of the branch. And here's where I'm going to close. Oh, I love this. Here's a promise of salvation. The whole third point is the branch is a promise of salvation to all of humanity. Salvation from what? Salvation from sin. From salvation from our dead works so we can have eternal life. This is eternal life that you may know him. Watch. When Noah, now I'm going to get excited, excuse me for a second. When Noah went into the ark, are you ready for this? 
and the Bible says that it was flooding on the earth because of judgment was so severe. If you read the book of Genesis, it was over 10 months. So it was 40 days that nonstop rain, unrelenting rain came for 40 days and 40 nights. But it was so high, the rain, and so powerful, the Bible says the faucets of heaven were open. What does that look like? Faucets of heaven were open. And for 40 days and 40 nights, there was unrelenting uh, 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 rain on the earth. The Bible says that it was so high that after seven months, I believe, you could see the tips of the mountain. So that means after, after seven months of just the, the, the rain being to, literally to the sky, it slowly started receding. And after months, it still had ways to go. You could only see the tips of the mountain. Now watch this. You're going to get excited. Remember the branches? Remember the branches? So the, the waters kept residing, and it kept residing, and it kept residing. And all of a sudden, there was a time where it kind of got low enough for Noah to check things out to see if there was hope. And all of a sudden, Noah said, hey, I'm going to send a raven out. And the raven came out of the window and did not return. I have a whole other message on that. But I'm not going to talk on that one. But then he sent a dove now anybody who knows prophetic symbolism knows that the Holy Spirit came upon Jesus as a dove he's not a dove but he came upon him as a dove and he sent a dove out and when he sent a dove out seven days later nothing came back and so on the seventh day he said dove go back one more time and when he came back the dove came back with a branch in his mouth flying saying that there is hope the waters and the bible says that noah then knew that the waters had receded and there was hope for humanity because a branch was coming the dove came with a branch symbolizing there's a day coming where the Holy Spirit is going to come in and he's going to send Jesus the branch to all humanity to give hope where there is no hope, to give courage where there is no curse. Come on, stand up. Stand up. Yes! Thank you for tuning into our podcast. For more information about us, please visit remnantchristiancenter.com.